Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon once preached by Charles Spurgeon. This message is from a collection of Spurgeon messages created by Perry Boardman. It's known as Spurgeon's Gems. Spurgeon's Gems. We're on volume one, sermon number 43. It's entitled The Death of the Christian, and the text is Job 5.26. Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in his season. We do not believe all that Job's friends said. They spoke very often as uninspired men, for we find them saying many things that are not true. And if we read the book of Job through, we might say that with regard to them, miserable comforters are you all. For they did not speak concerning God's servant Job, the thing that was right. But nevertheless, they gave utterance to many holy and pious sentences, which are well worthy of regard as having come from the lips of three men distinguished in their age for their learning, talent, ability, three gray-headed sires who, from experience, were able to speak what they knew. Their mistakes are not to be wondered at because they had not then that clear, bright, shining light which we enjoy in these modern times. They had few opportunities to meet together. There were but few prophets in those days who taught them the things of the kingdom. We only marvel that without the light of the gospel revelation, they were able to discover so much of the truth as they did. However, I I must make a remark concerning this chapter that I cannot be regarded as as being in the main and not so much the utterance of the man who here speaks, Eliphaz the Temanite, but the very word of God. Not so much the simple saying of the unwise comforter who upbraided Job as the speech of the great comforter who consoles his people and who only utters the thing that is right. The opinion is justified by the fact that this chapter is quoted by the Apostle Paul. Eliphaz says in the 13th verse, he takes the wise in their own craftiness. And we find the Apostle Paul in the Corinthians saying, as it is written, he takes the wise in their own craftiness, thus giving sanction to this passage as having been inspired of God, at all events as being most certainly truthful. Most certainly the experience of such a man as Eliphaz is worthy of much regard. And when speaking of the general condition of God's people, that they are hid from the scourge of the tongue, that they are not afraid of destruction when it cometh, that they laugh at destruction and famine and so on, we may accept his words as being proven by experience and authenticated by inspiration. Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in its season. Here's a very beautiful comparison. The comparison of the aged Christian, for that I take it lies on the surface of the text, to a shock of corn. Go into the harvest field and you shall see how much the wheat reminds you of an aged believer. How much anxiety has been expended on that field when the seed first sprung up, the farmer dreads lest the worm should bite the tender shoots and the blade should be devoured, or lest some sharp frost should consume the infant plant and cause it to wither and die. And then month after month, as the seasons came, how did he anxiously look towards heaven 
and long that the rains might come or that the genial sunshine might pour out its vivifying floods of light upon the field. When it has come to somewhat of maturity, how greatly has he feared lest the mildew and blast should shrivel up the precious ears. It stands in the fields now, and in some respects he is freed from his anxiety. The months of his travail are over. He has waited patiently for the precious fruits of the soil, but now they are there. And so, with the gray-headed man, how many years of anxiety have been expended upon him? In his youth, how likely did it seem that he might be smitten down by death? And yet he has passed safely through youth, manhood, and age. What varied accidents have been warded from him? How has the shield of the providential keeper been over his head to keep him from the shafts of the pestilence or or from the heavy hand of accident that might have smitten his life? How many anxieties has he had himself? How many troubles has he passed through? Look upon the hoary-headed veteran. Mark the scores that troubles have inflicted upon his forehead and see, deep written in his breast, the dark mementos of the sharp struggles and trials he has endured. And now his anxieties are somewhat over. He's come very nearly to the haven of rest. A few short years of trial and trouble shall land him on fair Canaan's coast, and we look upon him with the same pleasure that the farmer regards the wheat, because the anxiety is over and the time of rest is now approaching. Mark how weak the stem has become, how every wind shakes it to and fro. It is withered and dried. See how the head hangs down to earth, as if it were about to kiss the dust and show from whence it had its origin. So mark you the aged man, tottering are his steps. They that look out of the windows are darkened. The grinders cease because they are few. The grasshopper has become a burden. Yet even in that weakness, there is glory. It is not the weakness of the tender blade. It is the weakness of the full ripe corn. It is a weakness that shows its maturity. It is a weakness that gilds it with glory. Even as the color of the wheat is golden, so that it looks more beauteous than when the greenness of its verdure is on it, So the gray-headed man has a crown of glory on his head. He is glorious in his weakness, more than the young man in his strength or the maiden in her beauty. Is not a shock of corn a beautiful picture of the state of man, moreover because very soon it must be taken home? The reaper is coming. Even now I hear the sickle sharpening. The reaper has well edged it, and it shall soon cut the corn down. See, he's coming across the field to reap his harvest. And then, by and by, it shall be carried into the barn and safely housed, no more subject to blight or mildew or insect or disease. There it shall be secured where no snow can fall upon it, no winds can molest it. It shall be safe and secure. And joyful shall be the time when harvest home shall be proclaimed, And the shock of corn, fully ripe, shall be carried into the farmer's garner. Such is the aged man. He, too, shall soon be taken home. Death is even now sharpening his sickle, and the angels are getting ready 
their chariot of gold to bear him up to the skies. The barn is built, the house is provided. Soon the great master shall say, Bind up the tares in bundles to burn, and gather the wheat into my barn. Well, this morning we shall consider the death of Christians in general. Not of the aged Christian merely, but for we shall show you that while this text is, well, it does seem to bear upon the aged Christian, in reality, it speaks with a loud voice to every man who is a believer. Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in his season. There are four things we shall mark in the text. First, we shall consider that death is inevitable because it says, Thou shalt come. Secondly, that death is acceptable because it does not read, I will make thee go to thy grave, but thou shalt come there. Thirdly, that death is always timely. Thou shalt come to thy grave in full age. Fourthly, that death to the Christian is always honorable. For the promise declares to him, thou shalt go to thy grave in full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in its season. Well, the first remark, namely, that death, even to the Christian, is inevitable. That is very trite, simple, common, and we need scarcely have made it. But we we found it necessary in order to introduce one or two remarks upon it. How hackneyed is the thought that all men must die, and therefore, what can we say upon it? And yet we blush not to repeat it, for while it is a truth so well known, there is none so much forgotten. While we all believe it in theory and receive it in the brain, how seldom is it impressed on the heart. The sight of death makes us remember it. The tolling of the solemn bell speaks to us of it. We hear the deep-tongued voice of time as the bell tolls the hours and preaches our mortality. But very usually we forget it. Death is inevitable to all. But I wish to make an observation concerning death, and that is that while it is written, it is appointed unto all men once to die, yet a time shall come when some Christian men shall not die at all. We know that had Adam never sinned, we would not have died, for death is the punishment of sin. And we know that Enoch and Elijah were translated to heaven without dying. Therefore, it does seem to follow that death is not absolutely necessary for a Christian. And moreover, we are told in Scripture that there are some who shall be alive and remain when Jesus Christ shall come. And the apostle says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. There shall be some who shall be found living, of whom the apostle says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We know that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, but it is possible that they may be refined by some spiritual process which shall preclude the necessity of dissolution. Oh, I have thought of that idea very much. And I have wondered whether it would not be possible that some of us might be in that happy number who shall not see death. Even if we are not, there is something very cheering in the thought. Christ did so conquer death that he not only delivers the lawful captive out of the prison, but he saves a band from the jaws of the monster and leads them by his den unharmed. 
He not only resuscitates the dead and puts new life into those that are slain by the fell scythe, but some he actually takes to heaven by a byroad. He says to death, Avant, you monster. On these you shall never put your hand. These are chosen men and women, and your cold fingers shall never freeze the current of their soul. I'm taking them straight to heaven without death. I'll transport them in their bodies up to heaven without passing through your gloomy portals or having been captives in your dreary land of shades. How glorious is the thought that Christ has vanquished death, that some men shall not die. But you will say to me, how can that be? For the body has mortality mingled with its very essence. We are told it is true by eminent men that there is a necessity in nature that there should be death, since one animal must prey upon another. And even could all animals be taught to give up their prey, they must feed upon plants and so devour certain minute insects which had hidden thereon. Death, therefore, seems to be the law of nature. But be it remembered that men have already lived far beyond the present allotted term, and it does seem most easy to conceive that the creature which can subsist a thousand years, could exceed that period. But this objection is not valid, since the saints will not live forever in this world, but will be removed to a habitation where laws of glory shall supersede laws of nature. Of course, I have to add here, that's after the thousand years do take place. Well, now comes a sweet thought, that, that death to the Christian is always acceptable. Thou shalt come to thy grave. Old Carl makes this remark on this verse. He says, a, a willingness and a cheerfulness to die. Thou shalt come, you shall not be dragged or hurried to thy grave, as it is said of the foolish rich man, Luke 12, this night your soul shall be taken from you. But you shall come to your grave quietly, smilingly, as it were. You shall go to thy grave, as it were, upon your own feet, and rather walk than be carried to your sepulcher. The wicked man, when he dies, is driven to his grave, but the Christian comes to his grave. Let me tell you a parable. Behold, two men sat together in the same house when death came to each one of them. He said to one, you shall die. The man looked at him. Tears suffused his eyes, and tremblingly he said, Oh, death, I cannot, I will not die. He sought out a physician and said to him, I am sick, for death has looked upon me. His eyes have paled my cheeks, and I fear I must depart. Physician, there is my wealth. Give me health and let me live. Well, the physician took his wealth, but gave him not his health with all his skill. The man changed his physician, tried another, and thought that perhaps he might spin out the thread of life a little longer. But alas, death came and said, I have given you time to try your varied excuses. Come with me. You shall die. And he bound him hand and foot and made him go to that dark land of shades. Well, as the man went, he clutched at every side post by the way, but death, with iron hands, still pulled him on. There was not a tree that grew along the way, but he tried to grasp it. But death said, Come on, you are my captive, you shall die. And unwillingly, as the laggard schoolboy who goes slowly to school, so did he trace the road with death. He did not come to his grave, but death fetched him to it. The grave came to him. 
But death said to the other man, I'm come for you. And he smilingly replied, ah, death, (laughs) I know you. I've seen you many a time. I've held communion with you. You are my master's servant. You have come to fetch me home. Go, tell my master I'm ready whenever he pleases. Death, I'm ready to go with you. And together they went along the road and held sweet company. Death said to him, I have sworn these skeleton bones to frighten wicked men, but I am not frightful. I will let you see myself. The hand that rode upon Belshazzar's wall was terrible because no man saw anything but the hand. But, said Death, I will show you my whole body. Men have only seen my bony hand and have been terrified. And as they went along, Death ungirded himself to let the Christian see his body, and he smiled, for it was the body of an angel. He had wings of cherubs and a body as glorious as Gabriel. The Christian said to him, You are not what I thought you were. I will cheerfully go with you. And at last, death touched the believer with his hand. It was as even as as when the mother does in sport smite her child a moment. The child loves that loving pinch upon the arm, for it's a proof of affection. So did death put his finger on the man's pulse and stopped it for a moment. And the Christian found himself by death's kind finger changed into a spirit Yea, found himself brother to the angels. His body had been etherealized, his soul purified, and he himself was in heaven. Well, you tell me this is only a parable, but let me give you some facts that shall back it up. I will tell you some of the deathbed sayings of dying saints and show you that to them death has been an agreeable visitant of whom they were not afraid. You will not disbelieve dying men. It were ill to act the hypocrite's part at such a time. When the play is over, men will take off the mask. And so with these men, when they came to die, they stood out in solemn, unclothed reality. First, uh, let me tell you what Dr. Owen said, that celebrated prince of Calvinists. (laughs) While his works are to be found, I am not afraid that men shall lack arguments to defend the gospel of free grace. A friend called to tell Dr. Owen that he had put to press his meditations on the glory of Christ. There was a momentary gleam in his languid eye as he answered, I am glad to hear of it. Oh, he said, the long wished for time has come at last in which I shall see that glory in another manner than I have ever done or was capable of doing in this world. But you say, this man was a mere theologian. All right, let's hear a poet speak, George Herbert. After some severe struggles and having requested his wife and nieces, who were weeping in extreme anguish to leave the room, committed his will to Mr. Woodnot's care, crying out, I am ready to die. Lord, forsake me not now. My strength fails, but grant me mercy for the merits of my Lord Jesus. And now, Lord, receive my soul. And then he laid himself back and breathed out his life to God. Thus the poet dies. Well, that glorious fancy of his that that might have pictured gloomy things if it had pleased was only filled with rapturous sights of angels. As he used to say himself, methinks I hear the church bells of heaven ringing. And methinks he did hear them when he came near the River Jordan. But you will say, oh, one was a theologian, the other a poet. It, it, It might have been all fancy. 
Okay, learn what an active man, a missionary said, David Brainerd. He said, I am almost in eternity. I long to be there. My work is done. I've done with all my friends. All the world is now nothing to me. Oh, to, to be in heaven, to praise and glorify God with his holy angels. That's what Brainerd said. He who counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and went among wild, untutored Indians to preach the gospel. But it's possible, you may say, these were men of ages gone by. Okay, you shall have some men of modern times. At first, hear what the great eminent Scotch preacher Haldane said. He raised himself a little and distinctly repeated these words. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we shall appear with him in glory. He was then asked if he thought he was going home. He answered, Perhaps not quite yet, Mrs. Haldane affectionately said. Then you will not leave us very soon, he replied with a smile. To depart and to be with Christ is, is far better, far better. Or being asked if he felt much peace and happiness, and he twice repeated exceedingly great and precious promises. Exceedingly great and precious promises. He then said, but I must rise. Mrs. Haldane said, you're not able to get up. He smiled and answered, I shall be satisfied when I awake with his likeness. She said, is that what rising up you meant? He replied, yes, that's the, the rising up that I meant. <clears throat> Endeavor to divert my mind from dwelling on earth. But I entertain very different sentiments. Death has no terror for me. I always look forward to it with cheerfulness and if not with pleasure. Now that was what Howard said. He was a philanthropist. The man who, while possessing true religion and being the most eminent and distinguished of Christians, would from his plain common sense mode of acting never be suspected of being a fanatic and an enthusiast, a, a religious uh, uh, fanatic, okay. A few days after, before his death, when the symptoms of his disease began to assume a most alarming appearance, he said to Admiral Priestman, the words that I just gave you, divert my mind from dwelling on earth. But perhaps you may say, we never knew any of these people. We should like to hear of somebody whom we did know. Well, you shall hear of one whom you have heard me affectionately mention. He was not of our denomination, but he was a very prince in Israel. I refer to Joseph Irons. Many of you heard the sweet and blessed things that proceeded out of his lips and will perhaps be able to verify what is said of him. At intervals, he repeated short portions of scripture and select sentences such as, How long, Lord? Come, Lord Jesus. I long to go home to be at rest. And seeing his dear wife with shedding tears, he said, do not weep for me. I am waiting for that more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. After a pause to recover his breath, he added, He that has preserved me thus far will never leave or forsake me. Fear not, all is well. Christ is precious. I am going home, for I am a shock of corn, fully ripe. Now that is a man you did know, many of you. 
and it proves the fact that I have asserted that to a Christian death is acceptable, come when it may. I'm sure I can say with many of my brethren here that could I now have the greatest favor conferred on me that mortals could desire, I would ask that I might die. I never wished to have the choice given to me, but to die is the happiest thing man can have because it is to lose anxiety. It is to slay care. It is to have the peculiar sleep of the beloved. To the Christian then, death must be acceptable. I'm going to stop right there. We're a little over halfway through this message. Thank you for sticking around with me this long today. I do hope that you would look around the site and see what other things are here. We have not. We have hundreds of Spurgeon sermons. We have also um, other men of God. I tell their story. I, I speak their words. Um, people who can't speak physically anymore, so God has given them voices, and I'm not the only one here on Sermon Audio that speaks the words of these great men of God. We have a, a whole litany of audios about North Korea, 400 audios about them in English and 400 more in Korean. I do hope that you'll look that over. And I do hope that you will consider joining us uh, at a, a Zoom meeting that we have uh, twice a week now. If you're a man, if you're a woman, it's, it's once a week. But just get in touch with me and uh, I'll tell you how to do that. You can uh, look up my books on Amazon.com, you can uh, fellowship with me in a whole lot of different ways at, my, at this website and on uh, YouTube at Pasturelands over there. A lot of things that, that I'd love to share with you. I hope that you'll take advantage of it. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 31st of January, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.